Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 127 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Humble Advocate, an interview with Alexis Majarian. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, many people in the Lyme disease community believe that the reason there are diagnostic and treatment delays is because of a lack of resources, a lack of access, for example, to medical treatment. And Alexis Lazarian is somebody who has all of the resources in the world. She is the granddaughter of one of the country's leading surgeons. She is the daughter of a professional football player and a very successful entrepreneur. She went to one of the top colleges in the country and she is a beauty pageant winner. She served as Miss Nebraska. So this is a young woman with all of the resources in the world, but despite all of those resources, she, her mother and her brother went on a horrific diagnostic journey. Rich, what I find most interesting about this story is the fact that Alexis intuitively knew how to treat her Lyme before she got a proper diagnosis. She changed her lifestyle habits and started to sleep more, reduce gluten and dairy and sugar from her diet. She limited her stress and focused on having a positive attitude and a positive mindset, all of which helped her body heal and battle the Lyme before she even knew she had it. So Matt, but the reason we named this podcast episode, The Humble Advocate, is because despite all of these resources and the successes that this young woman has had, she dedicated her time as Miss Nebraska to advocacy for Lyme disease. She spent a lot of time supporting her family in their work as the founders of the Twin City Lyme Foundation, and she's dedicated her career to wellness. So without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce to the Tick Bootcamp community, Alexis Najarian. Hey, Alexis Najarian, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rich. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this podcast. So we're really blessed to have you, Lex. And uh, I understand you live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, I do. I I moved here about seven or eight years ago now from Connecticut. I came here for college at UNL and uh, it took me about a year at community college to realize that I wanted to be at a university with big football. So I came out to Nebraska um, and have, have been here ever since. Well, I don't think you can find a better place for big football than Nebraska. Exactly. Well, not necessarily right now, but we're working our way back. So, yes. So, well, I, uh, I'm a New York Giants fan. Obviously, uh, pro and, and college are different, but uh, I feel your pain as a Giants fan. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. So, Lex, let's talk about um, growing up in Connecticut. What was life like as a young person in Connecticut? Yeah, so I moved there when we were, well, I was 12, so I was going into my eighth grade year, and we had previously lived in Illinois in a suburb right outside of Chicago. We moved to Connecticut because my dad took a job with CNBC and was commuting from Connecticut to Times Square, New York, Um, and I moved there. I was not very excited about it, honestly, just because going into eighth grade, I mean, I, I had a great group of friends in Illinois and then got pulled from that with the expectation that we were going to be going back in a couple of years, which we obviously never did. And so I feel like I lived a fairly normal life as kind of like the new kid in school as an eighth grader, um, made it through high school. I played sports. I, you know, kind of finally finalized my group of friends and I'm still very close with them today. I have a bunch of girlfriends from high school who are actually going to be in my wedding next summer. So it's great that I've form those great connections out of an experience that I didn't necessarily want from the start. Um, But Connecticut was great. I mean, I think I have kind of mixed emotions and memories going from the Midwest to an East Coast city and a town, I mean, not too far from New York. It's just a slightly separate 
different set of values, I guess, East Coast versus Midwest. And so that was a difficult adjustment. But once I kind of found my core group of friends, I feel like I lived a pretty normal um, and in a sense, I guess, unique just from moving and having my dad be involved in football and finance and having a younger brother and mom. I mean, we lived a pretty normal life out in Connecticut. Well, let's talk about your move to Connecticut, Lex, because you went from the Midwest to the epicenter of Lyme disease. You went to Connecticut. Did anything change from an educational standpoint, specifically relating to ticks and Lyme disease when you moved to Connecticut? Honestly, not that I can remember. No. I mean, I only really learned about Lyme disease when my mom was diagnosed when I was about 20, 21 years old. Um, But as a resident of Connecticut, I only knew of Lyme because there's a city in Connecticut named after it. So I was somewhat aware of Lyme disease, but I had no education on really how it can affect people. I knew that, you know, at that point it was, you get it from a tick bite and that was pretty much it. You maybe go on some antibiotics right after that. Um, But I didn't realize that it comes with such a myriad of other symptoms and unfortunately can be terminal for some people and just the extent of misdiagnoses along the way for for so many people. I think when we were living in Connecticut, there was a few parents who may have been diagnosed with it. Um, I, I believe one of my brother's friend's mothers had Lyme disease and she struggled with a lot of different things, um, but I, I believe some mental health issues were, were very impacted from her Lyme. So Lex, let's talk about what your family unit was like when you moved to Connecticut. You've mentioned your, your mom, your dad, and your brother. Were there any other family members other than the three you've already mentioned? Um, none with two legs, but we did have a couple of dogs. <laughs> so let's talk about the two-legged members of your family first. So you and your brother moved from the Midwest as children. And it seems clear to me that, uh, that Lyme disease and tick protection was not a part of the educational experience that you had before you came to Connecticut. And despite moving to uh, you know, the middle of uh, what I would call Tick Central, you didn't receive any training or educational tools that would help you to protect yourself from ticks and Lyme disease. Right, yeah, there really was, like I said, to my, no- to my memory, I really don't recall any specific Lyme education. I mean, you would think that being, like you said, in such a heavily Lyme and tick infested part of the country that in the high school health class, they would at least mention, you know, hey, you guys are playing these outdoor sports or you're hanging out on the weekends doing, you know, whatever. You would think that there'd be some kind of a mention of the prevalence of Lyme disease and at least hey, if you do get a tick bite, this is what you should do with the tick. This is how you should remove it. This is the testing you need to go get from your doctor. This is all, you know, there should have been a a brief, at least in my opinion, of just standard protocol. Obviously, as we know, there is so much more to Lyme disease than just the standard and it affects everybody so differently. But I think it would have been very important to have some kind of education on, on Lyme because of the prevalence. Now, I I don't want to go too far forward in the story, but I do want to, at this point, identify that of the four two-legged members of your family that moved from the Midwest to Connecticut, three of you have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Is that correct? Yes. All three of us. My mom, myself, and my brother. Okay. So now, 
you're you're this young woman now growing up in Connecticut and talk to us about what your experiences were like in Connecticut, meaning what kind of outdoor activities were you doing and what types of uh, goals were you pursuing uh, that ultimately led you to uh, moving to Nebraska? Yeah, so like I mentioned, I moved there the summer going into my eighth grade year and we rented a house that was on, I don't know, maybe an acre or two. And so I do remember that there was this large backyard and we were on the train line. There was a bunch of trees. It was all, I mean, Connecticut and especially the town that we were in is incredibly wooded. So we spent a lot of times outdoors when the weather was, you know, allowed us to be outdoors. Um, so I played sports. My, my brother played sports. I was outside for almost all sports except for indoor track and volleyball, but we played tennis outside, ran track, um, uh, outdoor volleyball. I mean, everything, we pretty much spent a lot of time outdoors as much as we could. Um, and, and so go ahead. And would it be fair for me to assume that you never took any steps to protect yourself from ticks, meaning you didn't wear any particular type of clothing when you were engaging in these athletic activities and you didn't put on any type of spray. You were just going out and, and participating in your athletic activities. Right. Yeah. I mean, for standard practice or just hanging out with friends outside, doing a bonfire or something like that. The only thing we ever did as far as any kind of precaution was a mosquito spray, but there was never permethrin or any kind of tick specific spray that we used. So Lex, let's talk about the four-legged members of your family. Uh, what what um, companion animals did your family have during this time when you were living in Connecticut? Yep. So we had two dogs uh, when we first moved to Connecticut, we, we had one dog and unfortunately had to put him down about a year into moving there. And then, um, or I'm sorry, a couple of years after moving to Connecticut. And then within the year, got another large dog. And then about two years after that, got a smaller dog for a short time. Um, and then unfortunately had to put him down as well. But through the course of living in Connecticut, we had three different dogs and we pulled off so many ticks from these dogs and um one of them slept with me one of them slept with my brother so i mean we had we had fur and we had ticks and all of that going on in our house so what, what type of steps did your family take to try to prevent the ticks from getting into your house meaning was there any type of treatment that you were doing with your companion animals to prevent them from bringing ticks into the house i believe we did whatever that whether it's Canine Advantix or whatever brand it was, but the flea and tick serum that you put along the dog's back, I do believe we used that, um, but I, I was never a part of the process of applying it. So I really don't remember too much about it since I was younger. All right, so let's talk about now what you were pursuing in your life, meaning as you're this young person in Connecticut and you're going through your athletic and your educational experience, what were your goals and what were your dreams and what were you pursuing? Well, as a freshman in high school, um, that was my second year living in Connecticut. And so I tried out for volleyball. I played volleyball in the fall and then just played Y basketball in the, in the winter. And then in the spring, I tried out for tennis and growing up since I was four years old, I was playing tennis and I was at that point, you know, let's see, that's 10 years of, of playing the same sport. And so I had gotten fairly good, I, I would say at tennis and had hopes of playing in college somewhere. My uncle and one of my um, grandparents had gone to Cal Berkeley. And so that was always this big dream of mine because we knew the tennis coach at the time. And my freshman year, I kind of had my sights on, okay, I'm going to play college tennis. So I'm just going to work my way towards that. And then 
by the end of the season and closer to sophomore year, I realized, wow, it's going to be really difficult for me to play to play tennis at the collegiate level just because of the competition. And because at that point, my freshman year, I was playing three doubles, which essentially means that there was two other spots of doubles ahead of me and then the singles players on top of that. So I was really bottom of the totem pole, which made sense as a freshman, but I didn't really see a lot of promise for a collegiate career. And so I transitioned to track my sophomore year and ended up high jumping and long jumping indoors and did some hurdles. And then outdoors, I was triple jumping, high jumping and doing 300 meter hurdles. So, I mean, pretty much everything at that point was revolved around athletics and my friends. I mean, those are, that's really the only things <laughs> besides family and my dog, those are the only things that I really cared about at that point. Um, so, which I think is pretty standard, you know, a lot of high schoolers, if you're in a sport, you think you're going to play college, maybe even pro. Um, so my goals really at that point in my life were just to play play some kind of sport at the collegiate level. And once I transitioned track, um, I was lucky enough to end up high jumping for the University of Nebraska once I came to Lincoln. Alexa, do you have any visions for what you would do for a career when you graduated from college? Um, When I graduated from college, I graduated with a degree in psychology. And so about halfway through my junior year, I believe, my best friend and I were both psych majors And we actually competed in an entrepreneurship um, seminar, essentially, where we pitched an idea for a gym concept where it wasn't just your standard box gym. It wasn't a CrossFit gym or anything like that, but it was more of a high school and potentially collegiate experience for these young athletes who are growing and are needing sports psychology consultations, sports nutrition consultations, physical therapists, massage therapists a place to study and have maybe a better environment with, you know, tutors or something like that. So my goal about halfway through college and still now is to continue working my way towards building that business with my friend. Um, And so I think just between my personal experiences and becoming a personal trainer and having such a large interest in sports nutrition and sports psychology, and my friend is now kind of doing the same thing in different ways out in Boston, that that's, that's our main goal right now is just keep taking steps towards that. And within the next 10 to 15 years, hopefully we can build that. But now during your childhood, your goal was to pursue athletics in some way that would lead to a professional career. And that's ultimately where it's gone. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, obviously as a younger kid, I was hoping to be that athlete (laughs) to be going to a facility like we want to build to get the training that we want to provide. But yeah, now it's kind of shifted and I'm seeing more from a business perspective that we can really help shape the lives of young athletes, not only on the court, on the field, wherever, but also in, in their sports psychology and how they feel their bodies every day and just making sure that they're doing the best things for themselves. So now Lex, let's talk about ticks and Lyme disease and the impact that that had on your experience beginning when you're about 15 years old. And we want to talk about you your mom and your brother in that window. So I understand that at about 15 years old, you began to show symptoms of what you believe uh, may have been uh, part of your Lyme experience. What was, what was happening when you were 15? Yeah, so I was playing volleyball and my mom was, a, she's a great cook, 
But one of the things that she was baking was every single volleyball game, whether we were home or away, she would make a huge pan of, she called them triple threat cookies. So it was peanut butter chip, white chocolate chip and chocolate chunk. And they were huge. I mean, honestly, they were like the size of your face and she would bring them to every single volleyball game. And I was getting, I was, I loved them, but I was getting really sick from them. I, and I thought it was directly from them. So I was thinking, oh shoot, maybe I have a peanut allergy. Maybe it's just too much sugar. Since I generally eat pretty healthy, even as, even when I was younger, I was thinking it was maybe possible that I was going to, you know, ha- I was having all these symptoms and I really couldn't pinpoint why out of nowhere, I was getting really sick and I was feeling bloated. I was just having all these issues digestively. And finally I got some blood work done and they found out that I was intolerant to corn, wheat, soy, um, peanuts, walnuts, and sexy seeds. But you never, but Lexi, do you ever exhibit any sensitivity to any of those food items prior to that time in your life when you were 15? Not that I remember. Um, if I did, I probably just thought, you know, it's, it was maybe the flu or something. I don't know. I don't remember before I was 15. I really don't remember having any extreme adverse effects to any food. I mean, I pretty much ate whatever I wanted. So now how did your symptoms develop and how did the developing symptomology impact your pursuit of your athletic career in high school? Well, I think Definitely, as far as volleyball goes, I mean, I had to really change my diet midway through the season because I was just noticed. I I mean, I I pretty much stopped eating normal foods. I had to completely change my diet to totally gluten-free. And at that time, it wasn't a trend. People weren't doing it just because they thought it was the healthy thing to do. So there weren't a bunch, there weren't very many options for gluten-free foods. So I totally went gluten-free. And in some ways, I think that it probably helped me to be healthier, younger, just because I was eating more fruits and vegetables. I mean, my mom was, like I mentioned, she's a great cook and she's always incorporated protein, vegetables in every single meal. Um, But I think I just became more aware of it independently. And I was not necessarily cooking for myself more, but, you know, at school in the cafeteria, I was eating a salad rather than some sandwich that has mayonnaise and processed meats and processed cheese and all these additives that I really didn't need or no one really needs. So I think it really just changed the way that I looked at food for sure. So like we've, we've interviewed many, many people who have said that they had to change their diet so that they, after their Lyme diagnosis, so that they would have to remove gluten from their diet. So clearly that's something that was helpful to you. And I'm really interested in you sharing with us what motivated you to remove gluten from your diet when you started to have these challenges, even in advance of being diagnosed with Lyme disease. Um, well, I had some blood work done that, that showed that I was intolerant to wheat. And so at that point, I didn't really understand the difference between wheat and gluten. Um, and so I just went gluten-free because, you know, my doctor said, Hey, you're intolerant to this, stop eating it and you'll feel better. So I listened and luckily it helped, but, um, 
it was, it wasn't an easy transition, especially at that age. Cause you know, all your friends are, it's Friday night, you're going to go to the football game, go out for pizza afterwards, something like that. And it means it's kind of isolating, honestly. And my friends would, I was friends with a lot of, a lot of guys and boys tend to just eat whatever they want <laughs> more so than girls do. And it's, it was very frustrating and kind of irritating, honestly, that I would go out and I would get a salad and I wasn't doing it to be some skinny girl. I was doing it because I was going to, I was going to vomit if I ate a pizza with them. So it was frustrating to like kind of fit in, in, in food settings for a while. And I think eventually people will just, you know, they're just like, okay, well, that's what Lex is going to do. So just leave it alone. So Lex, talk to us about what was going on with your mom and your brother at that time. Were they also beginning to show the symptoms of their, at that time, undiagnosed Lyme disease? Yeah. So my junior year, my mom was completely bedridden for three months. So the only time she got out of bed was to go to the bathroom and she would like crawl on the floor or if she could stand, she would stand and she would walk against the wall and just feel feel against the wall to find the bathroom. And so that was, I don't think I really had a, a, a great perspective on how serious it was at the time because there was no diagnosis. We just thought she had really bad vertigo and it was just kind of like, it, it is what it is. Mom doesn't feel good, but looking back on it, I mean, I don't, I don't know how somebody can spend three straight months in bed and then just kind of go back. I mean, she, I don't, I don't remember exactly if it was kind of like, she just went back to normal life after that. Um, but she definitely was, was better after those three months. Um, and then my brother, his symptoms, I feel were a little bit more prominent in the more recent years. So he is 22 right now, but he about a year ago was really sick at college and he and my mom both whenever they get a common cold or the flu it's like tenfold of how anybody else experiences it and so as far as we know that is due to their Lyme diagnosis and so that's something that we just always are very careful of and I think as we kind of mentioned earlier with COVID going around and everything they're just a little bit more cautious of how they're going to you know be around people and if somebody's sick around them they are already they've already lived their lives as though hey if somebody's sick please don't come near me and if I'm sick I'm going to do the same which I think is just common courtesy. So Lex I, I but I just want to focus now your symptoms are beginning to develop and you go through this radical dietary change which creates a number of different social issues for you but as it turns out now that you've been diagnosed with Lyme disease you know that was a very um, important change in your life that prevented you from getting to the chronic stage that your mother and your brother have gotten to. But I want to talk to you now about, you know, what was your family thinking with you getting sick, your mom getting sick, your brother getting sick? What is your family, you know, dynamic? And what are you all thinking about your sort of collective health challenges at that time? Well, so I, by the time my mom was diagnosed, it wasn't until we were, I was living in Nebraska already. So I was about 20 when she was diagnosed. So I had been suffering through these di digestive issues for about five years. And then they finally moved to Minnesota, which as you guys know, is another hot spot 
with all the wooded areas and everything. And so she got this diagnosis about, I don't know how many months of getting blood work done and everything, but she suffered for probably 17 years with all of these symptoms. By the time she finally went to the doctor, she had 60 different symptoms that she was struggling with. And obviously that vertigo that I mentioned was a huge factor, arthritis, she has severe hearing loss, um, just a myriad of things. And so she got the diagnosis. A few months later, she kind of started just learning more about the Lyme, about her own Lyme diagnosis and all the symptoms that can be related to it. And so she just kind of sent me this list of hey, these are some of the symptoms that I've been struggling with uh, in addition to more that people with Lyme often suffer with. I know that you've had these digestive issues for years. You should look into this list and see if there's a, a bunch of them that stick out to you that you suffer from, we should get you tested as well. So I went through the list. I had a handful, nothing crazy like hers, but then that's when I got tested. And then about probably a year or two later, my brother got tested. So it was over the course of a few years, but there was just all these things that were adding up that, you know, I think that a lot of, I'm just going to say Americans, because obviously I've only ever lived here, but I think that we just kind of grow numb to these things that are wrong with our bodies. And we just think that it's normal, but it's not normal. And I think that people need to be a lot more aware of that. So when things are wrong with your body, you need to do something about it and get to the source. But We've just, we've just been taking it day by day ever since then. And yeah. So let's, let's, let's focus on this pre-diagnostic window. So you, your mom and your brother are all living in Connecticut, many, many years in Connecticut. Your mother is suffering symptoms that are so severe that she was housebound and bedbound for three months. Did any of the doctors that you were treating with, your mother was treating with, or your brother was treating with, test you for Lyme disease? I was never tested. Nope. Um, I went to a... A GI doctor. Um, they never even considered anything other than, okay, well, you just have these food sensitivities. There was never a deep down, why do you have these food sensitivities? I feel like that's something that was very frustrating is I don't remember. I mean, I was 15, 16 when I, when I found out all the things that I'm sensitive to dietary wise. And I don't remember if my mom had asked, she's, she always asks why. So I'm sure that she did. And they probably just didn't have an answer, but I don't know that for sure. Um, but yeah, to my, to my recollection, there was no Lyme discussion or attempt at diagnosis when we lived in Connecticut. So it wasn't until your mom moved to Minnesota and she changed, changed her healthcare practitioner that they finally tested her for Lyme disease and diagnosed her with the disease that she was suffering for over 17 years. Yep. Yeah, and I don't remember the exact connection to the doctor that she found here in Minnesota, but I think she's always just been, I mean, we joke about it, but she's kind of our Sherlock Holmes of the house where she's just this detective and she does a great job of researching everything always. And so I think that she kind of just got fed up with all these doctors not being able to give her an answer. At one point she was diagnosed with Meniere's disease and because that is something that is not treatable, not really fixable, she just wouldn't accept that that's what she had. And so that's kind of what ultimately I think led her to diving deeper into her own health. So Lex, I want to learn more about this period when you were 15 years old, when you developed these new digestive problems your and your mom was bedbound. So you mentioned that your mom was only bedbound for a, a few months and then was able to recover a little bit. Was there anything that a doctor prescribed or recommended she do to get out of bed and to get better? Or did she just get better on her own at that point? To my knowledge, there was no 
no doctor that said anything to her at the point when she was bedridden that was, you know, hey, this is what you can do to get better. I don't think she was even able to go to a doctor at that point. Um, I mean, she truly, like I said, she was just laid in bed all day and slept because she couldn't even open her eyes. Everything was spinning. So there was no, no doctor help at that stage, unfortunately. Now, you mentioned that your mom was sort of a detective and was, was really good at identifying clues and, and getting in the right direction to identify the root cause or the, the problems that are associated with, with your illnesses. Did your mom find anything intuitively or come across anything intuitively that she did at that point to help her feel better that she did on her own? Um, not that I can recall. I believe it just kind of subsided. Um, it was in the fall, so I don't know how much of an effect weather had to do with it. Um, I know that she has always mentioned that, you know, when it's raining or when it's super cloudy and gray outside, she always feels worse. And so I think that she probably attributed some of how she was feeling to just the colder temperatures. And then once it was officially cold, she was able to just kind of recover essentially. Um, but she's, I mean, she's never real, she's never recovered. She still struggles with stuff now, even after the diagnosis, even after all the prescriptions and juicing and all that kind of stuff. But at that point in Connecticut, there was no specific treatment protocol that she was following because they're just, she wasn't aware of the fact that she even was struggling. So she didn't know how to pinpoint what was going on. So Lex, I know you mentioned that your brother's diagnosis was more recent. So I want to focus still on this five-year period from the time you were 15 to 20 when your mom had these issues and got better, but never fully recovered. And you had these GI issues. So with your symptoms, did any other symptoms develop from the time you were 15 to 20 before you got more symptoms when you were 20 that made you think something else was wrong? Or did it remain just these digestive issues and food sensitivities from the time you were 15 to 20? The main, the main symptoms were definitely the GI issues. Um, I always attributed my, there, there was some brain fog and there was some just overall chronic fatigue, I guess I would call it. I was never diagnosed with chronic fatigue, but that's how I felt. And so a part of me definitely always just associated, you know, if I forgot to read a label on food and then looked it up later after feeling really tired or having some, maybe an eczema outbreak or something, um, I would go back to that food and I would just associate what I was eating to how I was feeling. And looking back, I don't know if that's really the truth. I think that Lyme, obviously, as we kind of discussed, Lyme probably affected my gut biome. And so I had all these food sensitivities and all these other co-infections probably, um, that were just affecting a lot of different things, but definitely in high school from about 15 to 18, it was mainly GI. As I got to college, it was a little bit more of that chronic fatigue, um, which again, at the before diagnosis, I just associated with, okay, I'm staying up a little later, I'm in class all day. You know, the, the standard college lifestyle, I think it's easy to just associate and not get to the root cause of something and just figure out what's going on truly. So Lex, do you think that you fared better than your mom because you had a lot of things in your advantage? For example, you were young, 
you were healthy, you were exercising, you were forced to have a better diet because of your food sensitivities and all those things allowed you to sort of stay healthy over that five-year window and not really progress significantly while your mom had a, more of a hard time because she wasn't as young, she wasn't able to move or get around as much as you and she couldn't do the things you could do to stay healthy. Yeah, I think that's a huge factor. I think that you're totally spot on with the eating. I Although I was kind of forced into it likely because of an early bite from Lyme. Um, I think just changing my diet and being more active played a huge role and being younger and a stronger immune system. I think all of that helped. And she, I mean, she and I grew up very differently. She grew up, unfortunately, in a very low income setting where all they could afford was, I mean, she describes it as basically orange tang in the morning for breakfast and sugar on her cereal. So her diet was really poor from the start. And it really wasn't until she was probably in her twenties that she learned how to eat properly. So she raised us eating properly. So I had, you know, this 15 to 20 year experience of healthy eating that she didn't even come close to growing up with that I think really impacted me in a beneficial way opposed to how she responded to Lyme. So Lex, for those that are listening, I think they may have digestive issues associated with Lyme disease. Can you give us a specific example of a food you would eat and then the symptoms you would get as a result of eating that food so they can correlate whether or not their symptoms may be similar to yours in your Lyme journey? Yeah, absolutely. So for, I mean, I can at this point, pretty much pinpoint exactly what food is doing what to my body. So if I eat wheat, I will have horrible stomach pains and probably vomit or, I mean, I, it's been so long now that I I've completely cut out wheat. There's no cheating. There's no nothing. So I don't even know what it would do to me at that, at this point, but I mean, it was just all in my gut, nauseous, all of the horrible, you know, gut feelings that you would get. Um, with corn, I, it might sound crazy, but I swear it makes me, it changes my mood. I will get sad. I'll get tired. And I also think that it has an effect on my skin. So I'll get these dry, like pigmented, areas, especially on my calves and it's, it seems to be kind of around my joints. So I have it on the backs of my, um, my armpits basically. And then I have it on my, the inside of my elbows and on my calves. And so it'll get, I'll have this discolored skin that's dry and itches a lot. It's not red, like eczema can be sometimes, but I mean, it's super itchy and I find myself itching it at night and I've dug deeper into how corn is processed. And unfortunately it's just in everything in the American diet in multiple ways, whether it's maltodextrin or xanthan gum or glucose syrup. I mean, it's in everything. Um, and then with soy, I've noticed that I get basically cystic acne on my face. Um, I'm starting to notice something similarly with almonds. Um, I've, I've not had a recent blood test done for food sensitivities, but I have noticed that correlation where it's, it's not cystic with, um, with almonds, but I get kind of like this, if anybody has ever seen or experienced milia, I believe that's what it's called, where it's like these little white, um, they almost look like whiteheads, but they're, they know, they never really come fully to the surface. Um, I've experienced that with eating almonds and 
with peanuts, walnuts, and sesame seeds. It's kind of similar to wheat, but not to the same extreme where it's just like this bloated, uneasy stomach that just kind of rumbles basically. And just, I feel uneasy for a few days. So Lex, many people have reached out to us and asked us what type of food tests are out there that are reputable. So can you make a recommendation based on your experience, what advice you'd give to these people? Is it an online test you can order over the internet and get a kit sent to you? Do you have to go to a doctor? Do you have to get blood work? What test would you recommend to people that they can get to identify what food sensitivities they may have? So the ones that I have done have been when I was 15 and then again about four years ago here in Nebraska they've both been blood tests um but I also I mean I've discovered the almonds on my own and um I think that it's super important for people to kind of do their own testing because as we all know there are some great doctors out there but there's also some not as great ones and so I think it's really a shame that you know you have to struggle through these issues and not ever really figure out why. So I think if you can kind of do a self-analysis and maybe it's the elimination diet, I actually am thinking that I'm going to be doing that soon because my, my skin on my legs, I it's, it itches all the time and I cannot figure out why, because I've completely, um, I, well, I'm learning that there are some corn products that I have been eating unintentionally. Um, but it's so few and far between that. I'm not sure exactly what is causing my, my skin to itch all the time. Um, so I think that the elimination diet is huge. I've done some pricks on your back where it's food, it's outdoor, it's, um, environmental, all of those allergies. So I think that that can be very beneficial for some people, but I mean, I, for better or for worse, I've kind of lived a lot of my life by trial and error, especially after moving out of the house. I mean, my mom, my parents were great about getting me the testing that I needed, but now that I'm on my own and I can't afford everything, I just do a lot of trial and error with, okay, this, I keep a food log and this food makes me do this. This food makes me do this. So I'm going to avoid them for two, three, four weeks and see if anything changes. So Lex, let's talk more about this. So it seems like the elimination diet to identify what you're sensitive to is the best way from your experience. But you also mentioned that you did some blood tests and also prick tests on your back to identify what food and or environmental allergies you may have. But you also mentioned that it, it was quite expensive. So was this done through an allergist that was covered through insurance or was this done through another doctor that you had to pay significantly out of pocket for to get these tests done? The blood work that I've done was something that I believe, I believe insurance covered part of it, but I was young enough that my parents were paying for it. So, I mean, I was lucky that they were paying for it, um, but I don't know exactly how much that cost. I do know that I just paid out of pocket for some allergy testing, that back pricking that I mentioned. And that was, of course, they don't tell you in advance, but it was like $800 to get, to just figure out why, to figure out what's irritating you. And they're not even going to like tell you why and just give you a pill and like hope that it goes away basically. So um, that's, that's kind of going back to the elimination diet. That's why I recommend it because it's free. (laughs) I mean, you just, obviously you go buy the food, but um, I mean, it's hundreds, could be thousands of dollars for all these all these other testings from doctors and you may not even really get a great answer or treatment plan after that. 
So let's not to get too personal, but do you have health insurance and this was not covered by insurance or, or is this something that you went and paid completely out of pocket for without use, using insurance for these, uh, this $800 test that you had done? Yeah. So I had health insurance and it just wasn't covered. Unfortunately, I, th- I think they covered maybe like my 20 or $40 copay or I, I had that copay and then they may have covered a little bit past that for just the, for the appointment, but there was no coverage for the testing that was done. So this is just another example of even people with health insurance have to pay out of pocket for almost all tests, even those that are, that are somewhat normalized in America. So never mind the, the alternative health, but even the normalized tests like these allergy tests you had to pay out of pocket for. So I think that's an important note uh, and, and an area we really need to work towards change for in the Lyme community. But going back to your mom's experience, you mentioned that she experienced o- over 60 symptoms over the five-year window until her diagnosis when you were around 20. So can you give us an idea of some more of the symptoms she experienced throughout that five-year window and what they were like for her up until her diagnosis? Yeah, so she had extremely bad vertigo. And as I mentioned, she was bedridden for for three full months from that. But there was also moments where, you know, we would be in the middle, she would be in the middle of cooking dinner or in the middle of working or something. And she would just have to sit down and close her eyes and try to take a nap because her vertigo would be so bad. She also was getting really bad arthritis in her hands. And she, I mean, now she's, I believe she's 54, but... Um, I mean, 10 years ago, she was struggling with these arthritic feelings in her hands, which, I mean, that seems a little young to me, especially because she's not somebody who's ever had a desk job where she's typing all the time or doing anything like that. Um, and then she had hearing loss where she has no hearing and she can't hear anything but ringing. So tinnitus in, I believe it's her, um, her, her right ear. So whenever we're out to dinner or something, she always has to sit at a certain spot at the table so that she can hear what we're talking about. And she reads lips a lot. She actually, um, she knows a bit of sign language just because she never knew how bad the hearing loss was going to get. So I'm trying to think of, I mean, like I said, there was 60 different symptoms and I don't even, she never explicitly told me every single one of them, but those were definitely the main ones. And then heart palpitations. She was struggling with those for quite a while where she would have shortness of breath and her, she would almost feel like she was having a heart attack. And that was really scary for me because when she was struggling with that, I was not living at home. And so as her daughter, I felt completely helpless. My dad was obviously living at home with her, but was traveling to and from New York for his job. And so when he would be gone, he would be gone for maybe one or two nights and two or two or three days. And when he would go away, I, every single time he went away, I had like this intense guilt feeling in, in me that was like, I need to be home with my mom because God forbid something happens and he's gone at work and my brother's gone at school. Nobody's there. And she can't like her heart can't take her life right now. So she, that the heart issues were very difficult for her and to watch her struggle through and feel completely helpless in that in that aspect of her symptoms. Um, and then I, I, mean, I, I believe there was probably some anxiety and de- maybe even some depression. Um, but like I said, there were 60 different symptoms by the time she finally got a diagnosis after 17 years. 
So Lex, let's look more into how your mom's symptoms affected you, your dad, and your brother. So you were 15 when this started. Your brother was even younger, it sounds like, because he's your younger brother. And your father had to be away at work sometimes for days at a time. So what impact did your mom's sudden illness and you know gradual decline over this five-year window have on you and your family above and beyond the fact that you were afraid for her when you were you know moved out in Nebraska? But at an earlier age, how did this impact your family life and your family dynamic? Yeah, um, so I think... It definitely affected my brother more so than me, just because I was older and was more independent and competent to, I mean, I was driving by the time that she was struggling with those vertigo, vertigo issues. And so I was gone at school or gone at practice or something, but I mean, it was, we, we grew up as a family who we ate breakfast together and we ate dinner together every single day. And so to have a mom who is a great cook and is fun to be around and, you know, I think we're very lucky in that we we get along really well as a family. And I think that my parents are a huge part of that and that they raised us to talk at the family dinner table and to have those daily conversations with each other rather than just like sitting on our phones or going out and doing different things. So we were raised to all be together as a family. And then when, you know, she's in bed for three months, it kind of just dispersed all of us because then we all had this excuse of, okay, mom's not cooking dinner, I guess. I'm going to go eat dinner at my boyfriend's house. Cole's going to go have dinner at a friend's house. My dad's going to just, you know, maybe throw in a pizza that's from the freezer or something like that. So it really, I think at that point when she was bedridden, it definitely affected how our family dynamic was. Um, And just being myself, I was in high school. My brother was in middle school. We were going through just the normal changes and ups and downs that, you know, middle school, high school kids go through that it, it probably pushed us apart more than we would have liked. And luckily we're all at a point now where we're, you know, we're adults and we're, we're friends again and everything. But I think that having, you know, kind of the cornerstone of our family being our mom, it like brings us all together. It was really difficult and absolutely affected the dynamic when she was bedridden. So now let's talk more about the fact that you lived in Lyme, in, not in Lyme, Connecticut, but you lived in Connecticut, yet you knew very little about Lyme disease. So at what point did Lyme come on the radar for either you or your mother in this five-year window? So you're now you're 20 years old. Your mom is now five years into her illness. What brought Lyme onto the table for a topic of discussion? Um, I, I want to say that somebody may have suggested once we moved to Minnesota that she go see... Um, a functional medicine doctor or infectious disease specialist, because at that point she'd been to hundreds of doctors, ENTs and GI specialists and everybody who couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And so somebody probably suggested once we were in Minnesota um, that she go see someone like that. And so that was, I believe the first time that she'd ever seen a Lyme specialist um, or Lyme specific practitioner. And that's when she got the diagnosis and then unfortunately had a, a bad experience with um, just the, the um, personality, I guess, of the doctor. And so then she found somebody else who now has partnered with her in her Lyme foundation in, in the Twin Cities. So Lex, at this point, when your mom found this Lyme litter doctor in Minnesota, because she was being urged to go see more specialists, infectious disease and doctors like that, was Lyme a discussion for you or was it first brought up for your mother because of how severe her symptoms were? 
definitely her first. And then she has sparked the conversation with me, my brother, with her friends. She has a friend out in Colorado who actually was diagnosed with Rocky Mountain spot fever. Um, so she was definitely the igniter for all of us to start thinking more about Lyme and how prevalent it is. And I find this very surprising that nobody while you were in Connecticut thought to recommend you go see a Lyme literate doctor or be examined for Lyme disease because of how prevalent it is in, in Connecticut. And Lyme Connecticut is where the Lyme bacteria or Lyme disease was discovered. So it's sort of ironic that you had to leave the birthplace of Lyme or the discovery of Lyme to go get a proper diagnosis for Lyme disease. But putting that aside, talk to us more about your mom's experience with this doctor. So you mentioned this, this doctor actually helped her get the diagnosis, but she was treated very poorly. So without going into details about who this doctor was, just if you could generally walk us through the poor experience your mom had with this doctor that diagnosed her. Yeah. So she got the diagnosis, she got on treatment plan. And obviously as, as we've talked about, it was really the first deep conversation about Lyme disease and her really starting to learn about what it means and what it is. And so it, you would think that the doctor would have maybe, you know, paid a little bit more attention and because it's such an unknown disease for so many people still, um, would have given a little bit more detail, but unfortunately this doctor was just maybe a little bit more intrigued in the financial side of treating this disease because it's not covered by insurance in so many cases. Um, and so she just, she was incredibly rude and disrespectful to my mom, um, and I feel obviously there's bedside manner and there's all these things that doctors do and don't have, but it was, it was really unfortunate to see from my perspective, my mom had been struggling with this stuff for 17 years and she was, she would cry about it and she couldn't hear. And this doctor would get frustrated when my mom would ask questions to learn more about her own health. And this doctor would kind of just push her aside and say, you know, like look it up on your own or, you know, just, just kind of really push my mom to the side. Um, and I was, I firsthand saw that happen. And I, in one of the appointments that we went to together, I remember saying something to the doctor, like, you can't treat my mom that way. You know, that's, it's wrong the way you're speaking to her. It's incredibly disrespectful and we're going to leave. And so I think at that point, my mom was just scared because, this was the first time that she'd ever found out what was wrong um, and believed the diagnosis, I suppose. And so she didn't, she, it was kind of a, a fear thing where she didn't really want to leave this doctor because she finally was on a treatment plan, but she also was, you know, she, this doctor was talking so rudely to her and would not answer the calls at night when my mom was having these heart palpitations and couldn't breathe and didn't know what to do. And the medication that she was on was making her feel so much worse, which so many Lyme patients struggle with. And this doctor was just like, how did you get my number? Don't call me again. Don't call me after hours. So it's, it was just really unfortunate. That it was such a horrible experience. And I'm so glad that she now has found this other doctor um, who's also in Minnesota. That's an infectious disease and Lyme disease specialist. Lex, it's just totally disgusting and outrageous to hear that. I have to tell you that as you were describing that, I felt myself getting more and more angry for your for this the situation and what your mom had to go through. But thankfully, you know, with I think with your help and and your mom's courage, you've moved on to see another doctor. But unfortunately, this is not rare where doctors sort of 
take this control and put fear into their patients and make them feel even worse about themselves or make this scary experience even more scary than it has to be. So uh, before we move on to talk about what the next doctor experience was like, what treatment, although this doctor was horrible from a, a bedside manner standpoint and a respect and just a human decency standpoint, what treatment protocol did this doctor prescribe for your mother and did it help at all? I don't remember exactly what all she was on, but yeah, she put, this doctor put my mom on, I want to say she, my mom was taking like 30 different pills either once or multiple times a day. So it was all, um, it's like supplements and prescription medication to help with the various things that she was struggling with. But again, I think there was just, there was so much going on in my mom's body from the Lyme. And then when you add on all of these things that are allegedly supposed to help um, but it, I think it was just too much. So it was, it was a mixture of, you know, health supplements, um, and then these prescription medications, which not, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm obviously not a doctor, so I don't know what the right and wrong thing to do is as far as prescribing a plan for somebody with Lyme, but it sure seemed like to go from being really sick to being prescribed, all of these different pills was not, was not the right thing to do. Now, Lex, do you recall if this doctor prescribed your mom antibiotics or were there other types of prescriptions and not antibiotics? Uh, I believe it was a mixture. I don't, I, I'm, I'm almost positive there were some antibiotics in there, um, but I don't know exactly what, it, what they were. So before your mom left this doctor and found her next doctor, who is her current doctor she partnered with, did this first doctor help you get diagnosed as well because of your mom's experience and you identifying that maybe some of your symptoms could have been correlated to the Lyme disease? Yep. So the same doctor that diagnosed my mom diagnosed me, put me on a similar treatment plan. I think I was on one or two antibiotics and then I was taking this tincture that was um, like I'm trying to think of what exactly it was, but it was this green liquid um, that I would put in water every morning. Um, and I don't, I don't think it really did a lot for me to be totally honest with you. I think that by the time we found the second doctor, that's when both of us really started feeling much better from, from his treatment plans. So Lex, you had mentioned earlier that your symptoms worsened when you were 20. And then now you got this diagnosis about when you were 21, I believe, correct? With, with this, yeah. your mother's doctor. Yep. So describe for us what your worsening symptoms were from when you were 20 to 21 until you got this diagnosis. Yeah. So I, I don't believe that the digestive issues got worse. They just stayed pretty consistent, but I did notice that I was just I was tired all the time. I mean, I'm still tired all the time, but at that point it was pretty, pretty severe. Um, I was also, I was noticing some, I guess, depression issues that I hadn't really noticed before. Um, nothing super severe to the point where I was suicidal necessarily, but there were times where I just wouldn't want to be around anybody. And, um, I was never specifically diagnosed with depression, but when my mom sent me that list of all these potential systems and I, or symptoms, and I was marking stuff off depression, I remember was one that I checked and that, that really hit home for me because I'd never really acknowledged or thought that that was something that I would experience. Um, just cause I mean, from a 
personality standpoint, I guess I'm a, I'm a pretty happy person. And so to mark that, mark that box for depression was kind of the key thing for me where I wanted to figure out what's going on in my brain and why. So Lex, it sounds like that could be a tip for people that are listening that if they experience dramatic or unusual mood or mental health changes that could be a sign of Lyme disease. Because if you were a generally health, a happy person, never had any signs of it, of depression or anxiety, but out of nowhere, you started to have these signs of depression, that could have been a clue that helped you identify an illness. And in this case, Lyme disease. Yep. I think that that was one of the key factors for sure. Um, just because, I mean, like I said, I kind of always struggled with digestive issues. So that wasn't really anything new. Um, and although that probably does root back to Lyme, it wasn't necessarily the factor that made me think, oh, I probably have something deep down wrong with me. It was more the, the mental health state. What type of testing did this doctor use to, uh, to diagnose you and your mom with Lyme disease? Was it, was it a, uh, a blood test, a urine test? Was it a local lab core quest test? Uh, was it a specialized biomagnetism test? I don't know the exact test, but it was blood testing. Um, and I just remember sitting there and I, I mean, I, I am pretty sure I remember counting like 17 or 18 vials of blood that they drew. So, so here you are now, you're, you, you and your mom are being treated very similarly. You're both not really getting better. Your mother's being treated horribly by this doctor. At this point, before you move on to the next doctor, was your brother diagnosed yet or did that come later on in, in the story? Um, I believe he was diagnosed by the next doctor that we found. So once my mom had found a new doctor and then I had started seeing him as well, my brother at that point, I don't remember what his key symptoms were that initially tipped off my mom. I think she, she generally was just curious if he had it. Um, and so all three of us started seeing him and it was at, it was at the point when we saw the second doctor that my brother finally got his diagnosis as well. Lex, do you recall any of your brother's symptoms that, that led to his Lyme disease diagnosis? Um, I think he had some digestive stuff going on. I, as I mentioned earlier, I think that just the mentality, not to, not to put a, stigma on gender necessarily, but I think that males in general are more accepting of digestive issues. Um, and so I think that he and my dad both just kind of suffered through some, some of those digestive issues. He also had, I mean, I know I mentioned having a little bit of cystic acne, noticing it more so when I eat soy products. Um, but my brother, bless his soul, he had such horrible cystic acne on his back, on his chest, on his face. Um, I mean, he would sit in school and he couldn't, it was so bad on his back that he couldn't even rest his back against the back of the chair. So I, I, tr I think that that probably has a huge factor. Um, I don't know that that was ever a tip for my parents or for him that, hey, I should get tested for Lyme. I think it was truly just my mom being curious. Um, but it was definitely... The, the acne, I think, was a huge, a huge factor in um, helping him feel better. Well, the, the, the diagnosis was a factor in helping him feel better from the acne perspective because he got on some antibiotics and he's very rarely has any breakouts now. So Lex, you also mentioned that your dad had some digestive issues as well. So did your father ever get tested for Lyme disease or see any of these doctors with you? 
I believe he's in the process of finding out right now. Um, I think that I, I can't remember if he's either made the appointment or if he's had the appointment to get the testing done, but he's not yet gotten the results back. But yeah, he's he's the the fourth and final one of us to find out if he has anything going on. So there's a very strong possibility that this is really an entire family disease for your family, which leads me to think or question, do you think there's the possibility that this was you and your brother ended up with Lyme congenitally at birth and you didn't show symptoms until later on in life because you were so healthy and that possibly either your mother, or your father got it sexually from, from, you know, one, one, one another. Definitely a possibility. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's so hard to say cause there's so many unknowns with Lyme still, but yeah, it's definitely a possibility that, you know, my mom had it originally and that's why she had such severe symptoms early on maybe, and then passed along to me and my brother. And just over time, um, we started developing stuff and then she passed it along to my dad over the years as well. It's absolutely a possibility. So let's talk more about the second doctor and put it in perspective of time frame. So when when was it about when you saw the second doctor? It, was it was it five years ago, two years ago, eight years ago? Um, let's see. I, it was the summer of 2016, so four years ago. Okay, so so here we are, four years ago. Now you and your mom are seeing this second new doctor. Uh, your mom sees this doctor first, and then you see this doctor second. How was this different than the first Lyme litter doctor you saw? And, and give us some examples about, about the, the treatment differences and also just the, the treatment as far as how they, how they treat you in the office and how they treat you as far as uh, human decency is concerned. Um, it was a 180 for sure. He's, he had so much, so much better bedside manner for sure. I mean, he truly wanted, he, he wants to know you as a person, but he wants to find the root of what's causing you pain or illness so much more genuinely than the previous doctor did. Um, and he also has, a, he had a much more holistic approach, I felt, um, where, you know, the, the first doctor really didn't said nothing about diet or exercise. It was just, okay, here's the pills that you're going to take. And then the second doctor was much more in favor of let's fix your gut first and that then we'll we'll work on everything else surrounding it so the first thing I mean he did he did suggest that I take pills like probiotics but it was more so to fix my gut and to implement a paleo diet which I followed for I followed it super strictly for three months and I felt great on that diet um, and now I kind of do a modified version of it but it was he he definitely took a functional approach to treating me and my mom and my brother more so than the first doctor and was kind to us and wanted to, to heal us rather than just prescribe something. So instead of just throwing medication at you and saying, leave me alone, like the first doctor, this second doctor took a more whole body approach and recommended diet changes, recommended lifestyle changes, recommended supplementation and a whole, whole wide variety of things to help your body as a whole heal and recover from Lyme disease. Yeah, exactly. Much more, much more whole, whole life approach. So talk to us about the differences you've noticed physically. So how did your mom feel and how did you feel with this new treatment plan? Did you start to feel better quickly? Was it a slow and steady progression? You know, what was that like for you guys? I felt much better quickly. Um, I think that that paleo diet, just anytime you 
for me, anytime I, I drastically change my diet, especially because I have these intolerances and when I cut out a food group like grains and like dairy, I feel much better. Um, I, like I said, was not on a lot of medication. I was taking probiotics, which were, which was helping my gut. And in turn, a lot of other, um, aspects, I think that my mom's process was a bit different just because she had so much more going on. Um, and you know, for, for whatever other reasons, it just was a more difficult process for her to, to get on the mend more so than it was for me. So she, it seems like anytime that she switches what she's doing, um, and gets on more prescriptions or anything, it, it feels like things get better or things, things get worse before they get better. Um, she's through this second doctor, she's also working with a, a hormone doctor. And I think that that is really helping her as well, because whether it's Lyme or just her age or whatever, her hormones have changed and have really been affecting her health too. So now that she's again, that holistic approach, let's dive deeper. Let's figure out why you're feeling this way. And then ask why three more times and figure out the root cause of it. Um, the second doctor has the resources and the connections with other physicians in the community to provide his patients with a much better approach to healing. So Lex, I think you just hit on another really important tip for people listening that, you know, hormone imbalance and out of the blue hormone changes could be correlated to Lyme because Lyme does cause these hormonal issues in people. So this new doctor rec recognized that this isn't just, I'm going to treat you with a ton of drugs, that you have to do a lot of different things like balance out your hormones, which have become dysregulated from the Lyme disease. So what type of doctor was the second doctor? Was it a, a naturopath? Was he a, a infectious disease doctor? I believe, I believe he's an infectious disease doctor. Um, and then I think that there have been naturopaths that either have worked with him in, in the same office or that he has also referred my mom to. So we have to say from our experience here at Tick Bootcamp, it's very rare to find a, a infectious disease specialist who actually can properly help with Lyme. So I think you're one of the lucky ones who found a good infectious disease who had a more holistic approach to healing from Lyme because many people we've interviewed said that they've had horrible experiences with infectious disease doctors and, and had to find a naturopath or an alternative doctor to get better. Mm -hmm. But now putting that aside, would you say that shortly after from your standpoint in your health that you almost became symptom-free in a short period after taking these supplements like, like probiotics, addressing your gut health, exercising, diet changes for you because you weren't as severe as your mom. Was that a pretty rapid progression to almost full, full health at that point? I felt like it was. Yeah. I mean, I think that changing my diet, I'd, I'm sure you guys are familiar with paleo diet, but for anybody else, um, I was not eating grains, sugar, alcohol, um, dairy or legumes. So pretty much my, my diet consisted of vegetables and lean meats. Um, I was eating some fruit, but not a lot. Um, and, and nuts pretty much besides peanuts. And so I think just eating a really clean diet allowed me to feel much better, much more quickly. Um, and I was just a lot more conscious of my probiotic intake, not only in pill form, but I was drinking kombucha and I was just a lot more aware of all these things. So I felt better 
much more quickly. I felt like I gained a lot of my energy back. Um, I was working out. I was because I believe it was because my diet changed and I was feeling better deep down. I was able to get better workouts in. It was summertime. So I was going outside more. I was getting vitamin D. I was in this fresh air. So I think it just, it was a, it was the perfect time for me to make a shift. Um, and I think, I mean, my mom feels so much better now than she did five years ago, but she, she absolutely noticed some beneficial effects from, from the treatment plan as well. I think I just got lucky and felt them more significantly, more quickly. So let's talk more about your mom's treatment plan. Your treatment plan was more minor compared to your mother's and you still had great results, but your mom had to get a little bit more treatment. It sounds like. So what specifically, if you remember, did the second doctor do for your mom differently than you to get her to help her feel better? Were there more antibiotics? Were there more herbal supplements? Were there more um, just, just general lifestyle changes? Like what were the things that were different for your mom than you that helped your mom get better? I believe she was definitely doing more herbal treatments than she was um, antibiotics. I think there was still some element of antibiotics in there in the plan, but I think the herbals really helped her um, and reducing stress, whether it was implementing more consistent workouts and just changing her mindset. I think just having a practitioner on your side who you know is on your side and truly wants you to feel better can kind of be that mind over matter shift that some people need to just believe that they're going to get better and that they're not just going to be on a plan where they're just shoving pills down your face. Like they truly want to get down to the root cause and fix you from the inside out. So let's talk more about your brother now. So your mom had a little bit more of a, of an uphill battle, but she is feeling better today. When did your brother get brought into the fold with his second doctor? And how is your brother doing today based on the treatment that he got? Yeah, he's doing pretty well, honestly. He actually just moved from Minnesota to Nebraska. So he's, I've seen firsthand um, just his kind of lifestyle. And I think that he's definitely the kind of person like me, where if he gets on a really good routine as far as exercise and diet that his his whole persona and health is reflective of that. Um, but he, like I said, his symptoms were more severe than mine where he was really struggling and just, I mean, he had absolutely no energy. He was pretty much laying in bed and would have basically extreme flu symptoms um, for days and days when he didn't actually even have the flu. And so he, I think he's a great testament to just overall health and putting, putting yourself first and not letting, um, not letting your friends and your social life kind of get in the way of your own health. Cause he's, he's been really working hard on just putting his, his health first. So like you mentioned that your brother had had flu-like symptoms often, but it wasn't the flu and he was sick often. Do you feel that, that the, the probiotics, things like kombucha and restoring gut health and the body as a whole has helped your brother now be sick less than he was before because of these, these simple things that he's done to change his lifestyle from both an exercise standpoint and a, a supplement and a gut health standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he luckily likes the taste of kombucha too. So, I mean, he'll go get it at the store and maybe this is just me being hopeful, but I think that I can see a difference in him health. Like I can physically see him looking healthier 
when he is more proactive about taking his probiotics and eating healthier. So it, I guess it's fair to say that you're pretty much almost symptom free at this point today. Is that correct? Um, I mean, I still struggle with all of my food intolerances, um, but I think overall I'm far more feeling far better than I was five years ago. And now your brother, obviously, you just mentioned is doing better as well. He's doing more to take control of his health with, with your doctor. But let's talk more about your mom. And, and how is your mom doing today compared to where she was? Because she was the sickest. And it sounds like she still has made some progress, but has some, some ways to go. But give us an idea of where she was and where she is today and, and the progress and the accomplishments that your mother has made. Yeah, so I think the two times that I would say that I was genuinely concerned about whether or not she was going to make it through the day was when she was bedridden and when she was having those heart palpitations um, about four or five years ago. And she, she still struggles with pretty much everything that she always has, but she is so much better than she was. Um, she, I don't know that she'll ever regain her hearing. I hope that she does, but um, she doesn't get vertigo as often. I don't even remember the last time that she got it. If she maybe just didn't mention it to me, but as far as I know, the vertigo has diminished very much and um, the heart palpitations have diminished. The arthritis has diminished. I mean, she's still struggles with all of it, but it's at such a smaller scale than it was that, I mean, I would, I would guess that probably 30% or more is kind of where her, where she's at with how much everything has gone down, which might not seem like a lot, but from where she was, it's incredibly powerful for her. So Lex, and I want to talk with you about your family and the transformation your family has gone through. And more specifically, how so many of you have used your accomplishments as a vehicle for helping folks in the Lyme community. But to give us a context, let's talk about first who your grandfather was. Yeah, so um, he was kind of a pioneer in transplant surgery and he was the chief of surgery at the University of Minnesota for a number of years. And so we always, I think that my paternal side for sure always had this understanding of health and medicine and how important our health is and proper treatment and everything. Um, and then my, my grandmother was a nurse for a little bit. And so we always have just kind of had this understanding of healthy eating, healthy living. Um, and that was definitely something that those two kind of laid the groundwork for and everybody else followed. But I do find it interesting on some level that your grandfather was one of the leading doctors in this country and your family had to go on such a long diagnostic journey and couldn't get diagnosed with your illnesses until many years after the symptoms developed. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, again, that Lyme disease is just, it's so foreign to so many standard practitioners that unless you really dive deep, um, there's just not there's not a lot of doctors, surgeons, anybody who, who knows a lot about it if they're coming at it from just the typical um, out-of-the-book approach. So let's talk about your dad because he also is someone that uh, has been very successful and, and certainly had a platform. So let's talk about your dad's college career and ultimately your dad's uh, professional career as a football player first. 
Yeah, so he went to the University of Minnesota. He was a middle linebacker there. And then he went on to play for the Vikings and the Buccaneers and ended his career in Sacramento, where he met my mom, um, playing in the World Football League for a team called the Sacramento Surge. Um, and all of his brothers actually played as well. So he's the youngest of four. One of them passed away from ALS about five years ago. Um and was the next oldest. Then he has two more. Each of them are two years apart. So uh, my dad is, I believe, going to be 57 or 58 this year. And then the, the oldest is um, in their mid-60s. Now, your dad also has a career um, as a uh, television personality. And uh, he's also, um, also an entrepreneur. Can you talk a little bit about your dad's entrepreneurial efforts uh, and and of course, the work that he's done uh, on television. Yeah, he and my uncle started uh, Mercury Trading on the CBOE when I was young. I mean, I may have even been before I was born, but in the early 90s, they were both trading on the, on the stock market floor in Chicago and then sold that business and got into a little bit more of the TV side of things, which eventually led them to be um, talents on fast money on CNBC. So that's what drew us out to New York. And then they, a few years ago, sold one of their companies, which was a trading platform. Um, and then have since started a new thing where it's an educational site. It's also a trading platform and, um, they, they essentially educate and, share what they are doing without necessarily telling people what they should do with their money. They just share, this is what I'm doing and why. And you can follow along in this process and understand the thought, the thought behind, you know, certain financial strategies in the stock market. Now, of course, coming from the family that you've come from, we had, uh, they had great expectations for you to accomplish some uh, celebrity and create a platform for yourself. So can you talk to us about what happened with you uh, in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, so after I graduated, I was working at Orange Theory Fitness and one of my friends started working there who had competed in the Miss Nebraska USA pageant a few years prior um, to when she brought it to my attention and suggested that I do it as a way to kind of grow my network for personal training and nutrition clients. Um, because that's something that I've always been passionate about, and especially post-graduation and um, just being outside of college, I really missed that health fitness side of, of life that I got from being involved in sports and being on a team and everything. And so she suggested that I compete for Miss Nebraska USA. She and I sat down and had a cup of coffee in October, and in November, I submitted my application, um, and then I competed either the first or second weekend of January and got lucky enough to win. Um, and I, as I said, I kind of went into it with this hope that it was a little bit more selfish where I was wanting to grow my own business and gain some clients and help people be healthier. And then literally as I was on the stage walking around after being crowned, I thought to myself, wow, this could be so much bigger and this could be huge for Lyme disease awareness because so many people, especially living in the Midwest and Nebraska, people have heard of Lyme disease, but again, they just don't really know that much about it. Um, and so I just kind of had this epiphany that I would be able to 
advocate for Lyme disease awareness and just talk more about it so people had an understanding of all the symptoms. Um, not that I know all of them, but a better understanding of the variety of symptoms and treatment options and just who to go to when you're feeling certain ways. Well, the final piece of this transformation is what your families come together to do uh, with the foundational work. So why don't you share with us how your mom, your dad, and the rest of your family um, have worked uh, in the uh, Midwest uh, to try to help the community deal with this Lyme crisis. Yeah, when my mom got diagnosed, I think she finally just realized how ridiculous it was that it took 17 years to get a proper diagnosis. And so she it was really, and all of us were, but we were all the mindset that no one should have to wait and struggle and suffer for that long, not knowing what's going on with their bodies. So it was really important for her to create a foundation, not only for awareness, but to also the, the foundation part of it and the, the money part of it is to help others get treatment because, I mean, we obviously learned as a family how expensive it is just to get testing, not even to treat anything. And so they raise funds through the Twin Cities Lyme Foundations to get patients and to get people a proper assessment and to um, the doctor that we now all see through the Northern Lights Medicine to get a, a consultation and an appointment with him to start that process of healing. So Lex, I have one final question for you and, and we thank you so much for sharing the beautiful story uh, of your family and not, not just the accomplishments that you've all um, you know, had the benefit of enjoying, but how you've all collectively used that to try to give back to the uh, community generally and the Lyme community specifically. But I'm gonna ask you for one more thing, Lex, and that is if God forbid tomorrow uh, your soon-to-be husband came walking into your room and he said to you, Lex, I have a tick biting me on my arm. What would you recommend that he do so that he wouldn't have to go on the terrible journey that your mom, you, and your brother have had to go on? So we would remove it and save it. And I would call my mom immediately and figure out which, which best, um, clinic or, you know, wh where we should go to send in this tick to see if it's carrying Lyme disease. Um, and then honestly, just go through, probably drive up to Minnesota and get him to that doctor that we've now been seeing immediately because we've had such great success in just his treatment, as we said, with bedside manner, with everything and figure out the next best steps from a, from a treatment plan perspective. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Alexis Najarian. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about this fascinating young woman, Alexis Najarian, and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram page at LexNutrifit, L-E-X-N-U-T-R-I-F-I-T. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of your post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate it if you have any input or improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. We thank you for listening.